turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. As you turn to this passage, we're going to read John 1, 1 through 3, and then the first part of verse 14. And I want to tell you that these verses in English and in Greek are very simple, basic sentences. Some of the simplest words in the Bible. Yet the weight these words carry and the meaning of these words boggles the mind, the human mind. These are serious words that carry huge weight and huge meaning. And I am, I am thrilled that I stand before you today to talk about John 1, 1 through 3 and part of 14. These, these verses are very near and dear to me and I hope they become that way for you if they aren't already. So here's what John was inspired to write about the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then we go down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Let's pray. Father, these are simple words to read. They're profound words to believe. As we read them and talk about them this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that would believe them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God gave us four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These Gospels are a gift from God. Do you believe that? So we have four Gospels, and I I think that these four Gospels are like one single diamond. Picture a diamond like the size of the palm of my hand. Let's Let's get a big diamond in your head. The four Gospels are like one single diamond. And if you hold that diamond up to the light and you turn it, you're going to see different shades of light firing out of that diamond off of the many different angles. There's going to be some blues and some reds and some greens and some oranges. You're going to see all different kinds of shades firing off at different angles. One diamond with a lot of different angles and a lot of different perspectives. Let me prove to you how the Gospels are like a diamond. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These books do not follow each other sequentially. These books don't include the same contents in them from one to the other. Let me give you some examples. Matthew and Luke both give us a full detailed account of Jesus' birth and even give us some glimpses into his early childhood. Mark and John are silent. There's no birth narrative in Mark. There's no childhood of Jesus in Mark. There's no nativity in John's Gospel, or is there? How about genealogy? If you look in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, you see a full family tree of Jesus. Matthew starts at Abraham and comes all the way to Jesus. Luke, remember we have a diamond here, 
different perspectives. Luke starts with Jesus and goes all the way back, not to Abraham. He goes back to Adam. Mark, no genealogy. John, no family tree. Or is there? We shall see. Some say the Gospels contradict one another. There are those out there that say that these books are flawed, that they contradict they, the elimination of some stories. How in the world could Mark eliminate the nativity scene in John? And I'm here to tell you this morning, no, these books do not contradict one another. These books are not in conflict. These books complement one another. Can you imagine only having Matthew and not having the words that we just read in John? <laughs> we need all four of these Gospels, and God in His grace had men, He inspired men uniquely to communicate incredible truths from different perspectives so that we get a bigger understanding of who God is instead of a one-dimensional Matthew perspective. So these books complement one another. And together we see one magnificent diamond that we can turn and see different aspects of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why did John write this book? You know, when you come to the Bible and you're going to study a book in the Bible, I want you to, I want you to take serious one beginning step that you need to do. Whether it's Colossians or Jonah, you need to read that whole book through before you start studying it. Read it from beginning to end, asking the question, what is the purpose of this book? Why was this book inspired by God? Why did this man write it? Well, if you do that with the book of John, turn over to John chapter 20. If you do that with John, you're going to see very clearly, I've told you already, it's written in very simple English. John is not a tricky writer. John makes it very clear in chapter 20, starting in verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs, this is at the end of his book, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So thank you, thank you, John. <laughs> no mystery here. John gave us this book so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, the Messiah. So we need to read this book. We need to read this book often and understand and come to believe the contents of this book. So there's some key words in the book of John. I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you the top three words that are used in this book. The first one is Jesus. Jesus is cited, that name is cited 241 times in the 22 chapters of John. The next most common word is Father, and it's used 136 times. The third most common word in the book of John is believe, and it's used 98 times. Remember our diamond? The, the four Gospels are one diamond. In Matthew, the word believe is used 14 times. In Mark, it's used 11 times. And in Luke, it's used 9 times. So in those three Gospels, the synoptic Gospels is what we call them, the word believe is used 34 times. In the book of John, 
98. So John is called the book of belief. Its emphasis is in John 20, verse 31, these were written so that we would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you believe that this morning? I'm going to draw you into these verses. And I'm going to pray like I've prayed all week for you. Not by name, because I don't know all your names yet. But I've prayed for you this week that you would hear this message and that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it's evident throughout the whole Gospel of John. We see Jesus acting like God throughout the book. We see Jesus claiming to be God throughout the book. And we see people acknowledging that Jesus Christ is God himself. That's the whole counsel of the book of John. And incidentally, just because those other Gospels use believe so infrequently compared to John doesn't mean it's inferior in those Gospels. It's just not emphasized like it is in the book of John. Remember, we need all four Gospels. They make up one diamond, and we just get to turn it and see different perspectives at different times. And so as we do this this morning, as we look at these brief verses this morning, we're going to look at five things about the Word that John has written about here. We're going to see that the Word is timeless in its existence. We're going to see that the Word is, has a unique identity that we need to understand. We're going to see the Word's relationship to God, the universe, and to man. You have an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to jot down some notes and some scripture references that I'm going to use. So you can see the roadmap for where we're going. And so now as we break into this, let's hold up this gospel diamond and let's turn it to John and let's see what we would see about God, the Father, and the Son this morning. First of all, we see that in the beginning was the Word. We're talking about the Word's timeless existence here. John opens his gospel with the very same words that Moses began Genesis with. You know Genesis 1-1? Surely you do. In the beginning, God. Forget the rest of it for the moment. In the beginning, God. John starts his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word. And so as we look at the Genesis account and how it starts, the Bible begins with the creations of the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 1 assumes that God existed before creation. There's an assumption there. It's clear. In the beginning, God created. Not God was created. God created in the beginning. God is outside of time, is before the beginning. But you know what? We don't have to live with this assumption. God, in His grace, gives us other passages in the Bible to tell us that God is without beginning. Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. Listen, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Assumption in Genesis 1, certainty in Psalm 90. Job, Job 36, 26. Behold, God is great and we know Him not. The number of His years is unsearchable. So it's clear. God is outside of time. He's always existed. He has no beginning. And yet here we see, in the beginning was the Word. It's without beginning. 
It existed. It already was. And this is not some mere coincidence. John is telling us something profound here. This word, and we're going to talk about who or what this word is in a minute. This word already existed in the beginning. It already was. And he begins his gospel by telling us that the word was before time. The word is and was timeless. So grasp that for a moment. This word is without beginning. Let's talk next about the word's identity. What is the word? What is this concept of the word? It's kind of confusing at first. Well, the word throughout the council of the scriptures is clearly understood to be God's self-revelation. If we go back to Genesis, we see from there forward that the scriptures show us that God is a God who speaks. And there's divine speech throughout the entire Bible. How about Genesis chapter 1? You know the creation account very well. Everybody knows that. And God said, let there be light. And there was lights. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. In verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together. Verse 14, and God said, let the lights in the expanse of the heavens separate the day from the night. In verse 20, and God said, and God said, and God said throughout all six days of creation, God spoke and it happened. Word of God, powerful, creates life on the spot, out of nothing, before all time. We even see in Scripture that creation, once God made creation, creation spoke of God. On the front of your bulletin, we've got Psalm 19, 1 through 4. Creation speaks of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So God spoke creation into existence and then he set creation in motion and he ordained that creation would speak of God. Now we get to John chapter 1 and we see that God had a final and ultimate speech and it's his word. And by withholding the identity of Jesus... In the identity of the word, John creates some suspense for us as we start reading in this first chapter. But let's relieve some of the tension here. Let's unveil the suspense here for a moment, and let's ask the question, who or what is this word? And we see that in verse 14, the word finally is given an identity when it says, the word was the only son from the Father. So we get the curtain pulled back just a little bit and we get a glimpse. The Word is the Son of the Father. But then we keep going. Go to verse 17 and we finally see the name Jesus Christ. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. And then in verse 18 we see this. No one has ever seen God the only God, who is a reference to the Word, who is at the Father's side, 
he has made him known. So I tell you this morning, church, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate Word of God. The Word that created, the Word that sustains, and the Word that comes and tells us of who God is and what we need from Him. So let's be clear from here on out through the rest of this sermon as we talk about the Word. The Word is Jesus Christ, Son of God. So now let's go to number three and look at the Word's relationship to God. In the second part of verse 1, we see that the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So here we see that the Word is personified. We have this pronoun, He was in the beginning with God. So now the Word is a person, according to John. He's not a concept. He's not a power, not a force. Jesus is not some force. No, He is a person. He was with God in the beginning. So we see that the Word was with God, and here we see that the Word and God are two separate entities. For something to be with something, there's got to be two, right? So the Word was His own person, and He was with God, who is His own person. We have two people in the presence with one another in a relationship. I know that's basic, but let's follow through what John is telling us. Next we see something that's going to turn the world upside down. <laughs> and it's going to turn our human logic inside out. The Word was with God, and what? The Word was God. Simple English. A plus B equals C. But we can't comprehend C in our finite minds. The Word was God. So, is he with God or was he God? Yes. He's both. In relationship with God, separate person, but nonetheless God. And this is the very first glimpse that we get in the Gospel of John of a clear picture of the doctrine of the Trinity of God. God is one God in three persons. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, these three persons exist co-eternally, but they are one God. Explain that one to me in five seconds. Profound, but true, because it's through and through the Scriptures. And in John chapter 1, what we get is a glimpse of just two of the three people in the Godhead. We get here both Father and Son. They're their own persons, but they are one. The doctrine of the Trinity is unique to Christianity only. There's not another world religion that has one God in three persons. This is distinctly Christian. This is an incredibly important truth that we embrace as we live and worship the God who made us through all of our lives. So we have this great doctrine of the Trinity, and let me give you some scripture references that substantiate Jesus being God. There's three big ones. 
We go to Colossians, Philippians, and Hebrews. Colossians 1 says this, He, speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hebrews 1.3 He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Exact. Philippians 2 Have this mind among yourselves which is in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters, who though He was in the form of God, He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus was in the form of God, Jesus was equal to God, and he didn't think it was something to hang on to. He stepped down into the world and dwelt among us. And I'm getting into John 1.14 there, aren't I? So it's clear through and through. We could continue, but it's clear in these bedrock passages. Jesus Christ was with God in a relationship with him, and Jesus Christ was God. So there's only one God. There are three distinct persons. Two of them are mentioned in this passage, Father and Son. And the Holy Spirit is introduced later in the Gospel of John, and we see him in vivid color in John uh, 15 and six, uh, 14 and 16. A lot of Holy Spirit in John 14 and 16. A lot of deity of the Holy Spirit there as well. So last thing, let's reread this passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Let's go back to our diamond analogy. Let's hold that gospel diamond up and turn it to John. And I tell you that right here, oh, we do see a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Okay? Matthew took us from Abraham to Jesus. Luke took us from Jesus back to Adam. John takes us from Jesus back to God and takes us from Jesus back to eternity past. No beginning of his genealogy. A perpetual, everlasting to everlasting genealogy. There is genealogy in John, but it is the genealogy of God which has no beginning. So embrace this Christ as the Word of God for all that it is. It has incredible impact in your life. You need to embrace this truth. Let's look next at the Word's relationship to the universe, starting in verse 3. Love this. I love this verse. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Is that clear enough? How thorough Yet how compact is that verse? I wish I could write that tight. And I bet I could if God would inspire me, but he's done inspiring people to write Scripture. Inspiration here, a tight verse. And by, all th- by him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. Let's go back to Colossians 1. It says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. This is our Christ. 
the creator and sustainer of all things before, now, and forevermore. Think about this. Because we're going to see in a minute that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Word is the Creator God. And so God Himself became man and walked on the earth and interacted with all the stuff that He made. He walked the hills of the nation of Israel. He climbed up on a hill called Calvary and died on it. And he made that hill. And when he made that hill, he knew he would climb that hill and die on it. He made all the trees. He made the tree that Nicodemus was sitting up in. No. Zacchaeus. Forgive me. Thank you. I love it when you interact with me. Zacchaeus is in a tree. Jesus made that tree. Jesus made another tree too. He made a tree that the cross was carved out of. And he knew when he made that tree, he'd hang on that tree and he'd bleed on that tree and he would die on that tree. The Bible says that man created man, God made man in his image. Jesus made the men that nailed the spikes. He made you and he knew of you when he hung on that cross saying, I'm going to die and if they'll believe that I died for them, I will save them. That's who we worship. That's who's in John 1, 1 through 14. The creator himself interacted with his creation. So Jesus' relationship to the universe, he is its creator and sustainer. Number five, let's look at the word's relationship to man because now we go to John 14a. And don't worry, verses 4 through 13, that's next Sunday. We're not skipping it. But we want to stay with this word theme this morning. And we see here something very, very profound. I mean, I just want you to picture John, the Apostle John, scratching this onto the parchment way back 2,000 years ago. Picture that moment. Did John just stop and drop his stylus? And went, wow, where did that come from? He wrote this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word had no beginning. The Word is its own person. The Word was God. And the Word created Everything, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And this Word became flesh. Just like you and me. Here is John's nativity scene. <laughs> this is the manger scene. He became flesh. And we beheld His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father. This is John's birth narrative. It's only one simple verse, but there's no smell of a stable in this verse, is there? Can't smell it. Something comes to mind, though. For me, when I read that, I think Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we should read, remember this gospel diamond? I think that we should read John 1.14, the Word became flesh, 
before we read Matthew and Luke in their nativity scenes. It's not an absolute, but it was, it's really beneficial so that when we see this baby in a manger, we know that it was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and here it's happening in Matthew and Luke. You see how the Gospels complement one another? They don't contradict. John didn't mess up and leave the biggest historical event to that time out of his Gospel. Virgin birth baby in a manger, wise men, shepherds, angel. John didn't mess up. That stuff was inspired by God in Matthew and Luke. God had John say something that Matthew and Luke didn't. The Word became flesh. We need all three of those. And God gave it to us. So why did the Word become flesh? Let's don't just say, oh, the Word became flesh, now let's go eat. <laughs> why did the Word become flesh. We need to understand why. John's not just telling us some history here, some creation account. No, he's proclaiming something greater than creation. It's greater than creation, that the Creator God would become a part of His creation. But there's a purpose. It wasn't just so He could wow us with His presence. There's a purpose and we see in the rest of the Gospel of John that John writes this narrative of the Word becoming flesh so that from here on we get a biography about Jesus that gives us the purpose for why He came. We see what He said and we see what He did throughout the Gospel. And the full counsel of Scripture says that the Word became flesh to die. God Himself stepped down into the world and lived a sinless life because we couldn't. And he was a perfect substitute, paying the price for sin, which was death and death on a cross. And if we believe, remember John's key word 98 times, if we believe in that truth that he's the Son of God and he did that, we will be saved and given eternal life. So the Creator came to save those whom he created and those who defied him. And that's called grace. Beautiful grace. That God would do that for us. So remember John's purpose. Remember that? John 20, verse 30. He, want, he wrote this, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So do you believe that this morning? Do you have life in the name of Jesus Christ. Floyd read for us Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 earlier. I want to reread it. I want you to listen to these words, and then I'm going to speak to them as I wrap up here. Isaiah says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, listen to this, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now you hold that passage in your left hand and in your right hand you hold John 1, 1 through 3 and 14. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. 
The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we see when we merge these two passages together, the Word is sent by God in Isaiah to accomplish a specific purpose. And we see in John that the Word became flesh and came to us with a specific purpose. We see that the Word perfectly accomplishes His purpose because God said in Isaiah 55, 11, the Word that comes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. So the Word became flesh and perfectly accomplishes God's purpose, and that is that the Word, Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life and became sin that we would know no sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might have life through Him. He accomplished that purpose. And then third, the Word returns to God in this Isaiah 55:11 passage. It will not return to me empty. God says, my Word will return to me. And we see in the whole Gospel account that the Word ascends to the right hand of God the Father. Look in verse 18 of John 1. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So Jesus is the Word that is referenced in Isaiah 55. He came, He accomplished His purpose, and He returned to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And guess what? We gather every Sunday morning to remember all of that. Yeah, we remember that every Sunday together, and we remind one another, remember, He came and He died and He rose. Remember, remember, believe. And you know what else we do? We also say, and He's coming again. And we gather in anticipation of this guaranteed second coming. And we say, hey, don't give up. He's coming again. Stay the course. He's coming again. Do not relinquish your belief. He's coming again. And it will happen. And we need to pray that that day comes. We need to ask God, Lord, do it now. Would you do it now? But if you won't, will you give me the strength to continue until it is time? Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 summarizes Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 in John 1, 1 through 3 and 14. Let these words just wash over you. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken, word, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand, of the majesty on high. You see Isaiah 55 there? He came, he served, and he is at the right hand of the majesty on high. He returned to the Father having accomplished everything that he was sent to do. So in summary, what's the main point of John's opening statement in the gospel? It's this. Jesus was not merely some man. He's not just a prophet He's not a, a wisdom guy. He's not a moral man either. 
wasn't just a martyr. People will tell you that about Christ. He's a prophet. He's a moral guru. He was a martyr. No, he was God himself in the flesh. That's what John wants us to know. He wants to know that Jesus is God, he became flesh, and he walked and lived amongst his people. And so my question for you this morning is, as we begin this look at the book of John, do you believe? Have you accomplished in your life, has God accomplished in your heart the purpose of John's writing, that you might believe and have life in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ? Oh, I pray that you do. And if you don't, I want you to keep coming as we walk through these precious chapters in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to be praying for you that at some point you might be a believer and you might be saved for all of eternity by this God who made you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making us, for becoming one of us, for living like we should have lived without sin and for dying for us. Father, we thank You for that truth. And on top of that, Father, as if it wasn't enough, we thank You that You have revealed this to us, that You had John write this to us in Paul, in Isaiah, in Moses, that You had men record your word to us so that we can know what you did for us. And Father, we have not dwelt on the Holy Spirit this morning, but we thank you for the Holy Spirit that was used to inspire the men to write and that you used to give us hearts that can comprehend what you've written and can believe with certainty that it's true. Father, now as we sing one last song to you, would you continue to wash us with the truth of the incarnation of Jesus Christ? And would you cause some of us to believe for the first time? And would you reinforce the belief of those of us that already do all the more so that we have gospel steel in our spines? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.